Hello and welcome to the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Jamie from After Gambling. Jamie, thank you very much for coming on. Before we get into this episode, make sure you follow us on Twitter, at BettingPod, and check out the website, businessofbetting.com. Guest suggestions are much appreciated. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Betfair Proprietary Limited. Betfair operates a betting exchange and is licensed in the Northern Territory of Australia. Residents of Australia can join Betfair by visiting betfair.com.au and support this podcast by using promo code BOBPOD. Please gamble responsibly. So thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Jamie from After Gambling. Jamie, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for having me on. So, Jamie, before we go back to the beginning, I just want to ask you from the outset, how would you describe yourself now, given what we're about to talk about and what you've been through? What's a good way to uh, to describe yourself? Um, well, obviously, I am a compulsive gambler. Um, like I said, you said my name is Jamie. Last time I gambled was July 15th of 2010. So just kind of throw that out there to give a little bit of background. But to answer your question, things are really good. Uh, life is really good. This has been a great year for me personally and professionally. So yeah, pretty much across the board, things are now good. We'll get into the days that weren't so good. But yeah, it's there is hope after uh, going through some struggles. So do you remember your first experience or what was you know back at the very beginning in, in betting and gambling for you? Yeah, and I kind of classify it. There are a couple different that I kind of consider earliest moments. I mean, when I think about earliest moments, I mean, definitely as a kid. I mean, even just growing up, I mean, I played a lot of sports, was very competitive, played a lot of different things. So there were those things where, I mean, I was also a golfer, which anybody that knows golf knows that when you play golf, you gamble. And even as a kid, I mean, 9, 10, 11 years old, we would play matches. And at the time, it'd be for a quarter or 50 cents, something like that. But it was definitely gambling. And it was never something that part of my gambling early moments. It never really had kind of the negative effect i didn't have kind of the harm from gambling but it's something that i guess looking back now i mean yeah i was probably nine or ten betting my dad for a milkshake or when i had my first hole in one at 15 i won like ten dollars and i thought i was rich at that point i mean a 15 year old that wins ten dollars that's a ton of money um so i had those things that were around golf and sports um but then my first kind of real gambling moment was definitely playing cards it was something that I was kind of anti-gambling. I saw firsthand some of the negative side effects from trying to help out a family friend. And uh, it just was something I'm like, man, going to casinos. I, we went, uh, but it wasn't something frequently. And then after that experience, it's something that kind of turned me off to gambling for a while. But then in college, I started playing poker with buddies. And it was kind of uh, off to the races from there. So what type of experience did you have with it before you got too involved in it? Were you actively helping someone who had some issues themselves yeah i mean i was doing all the stuff that i mean the the friend and loved one does i mean started off just kind of sending money first i didn't know what the issue was and it's just hey can you help me out i need a couple bucks to make rent so i did that whole thing and then as i got into it i asked more questions and i kind of got to the root of the problem and i mean i did the whole trying to come up with financial plans and trying to help them out with their finances and 
I mean, being on the other side of that phone call, hey, can you send me money? And then I'm mean, just hearing the devastation. I mean, it was heartbreaking. It was really, really tough. And it was, like I say, a really close family friend. Um, so I, I, I wanted to help them. And I feel for that pain of what, I mean, I put my friends and family through later on down the road because I know how difficult that is. You just want to help that person so much and you keep doing all these things, but they just keep going back. And it's, it's frustrating. It's all those types of things. And so, yeah, I had that experience up front which you would think would be the greatest warning sign of all, right? Okay, this is where it can lead, so be careful. And I definitely was careful early on, don't get me wrong. Um, but somehow or another, I ended up in the path that they were in. I was doing what they were doing and more. So a lot of people would understand the Texas Hold'em boom and, and how that took over, um, I guess, during your high school and poker years. Take us through how you started with that and then how it developed sure i mean i always laugh i mean when i first was introduced to hold'em i mean my family growing up we didn't play cards um like i said any type of betting would be like sports like okay hey i'll bet you i can make 10 shots before you can playing basketball so like cards was just completely foreign but i remember in college i was about 21 22 and some of my college buddies roommates we went over to a guy's house and they were playing cards and I literally just sat and watched for the first, I don't know, half hour, hour, because I literally had no clue what was going on. I mean, it's kind of like me watching uh, rugby or soccer, uh, kind of true soccer, not what we call soccer. <laughs> and I just had no clue what the game was. And so, like, I didn't know what a straight was. I didn't know what a full house was. I didn't know any of these types of things. But I'm sitting there watching. I'm kind of taking it in. And I've always been kind of an analytical person. Math, I mean. My geeky growing up, I was the mental math champion in junior high. I mean, I was always good at math and quick math in my head. So I'm sitting there watching, and the competitive part of me eventually just said, you know, I want to jump in. I want to play. It was like $10. Like, it doesn't matter. I just, I also didn't want to sit there and kind of be the person that was lame just watching. So I started playing, and I literally had no clue. I'm sure I annoyed everybody because I had no clue what the hands were. I didn't know if I was winning, losing. And it was just kind of like I say, with buddies, and it was fun. Um, then fast forward that same summer or kind of in the fall, I think it was summer fall was 2003. So yeah, I would have been 21 and, uh, it was the Chris moneymaker. I mean, ESPN had brought out poker and the whole moneymaker effect. And all of a sudden that comes on and every week, I mean, we, our house was glued to ESPN. We were all athletes. So we would watch ESPN around the clock and then there was poker. And so we started having our own poker games in the house. And obviously, at that point, then I started to figure out the hands. And I just got really into playing and really enjoyed that competitive atmosphere. Um, but it was just with buddies. I mean, we'd have drinks, we'd play poker, we'd watch it on TV, and it became more of a regular thing. So it was just kind of the start of the evolution, I guess, was just kind of playing with buddies and going from, in a matter of months, not knowing whether a straight beat a full house to playing on a weekly basis and then more often. That was probably a normal occurrence for many across the U.S. and the world, to be honest, playing a casual game of poker here and there, probably you know, young adults, probably on the weekends, probably with alcohol. How does it go from that to, I guess, being more aggressive? Yeah, and it is. And I think in that like isolation, it was healthy, it was fun, it was all those types of things. Um, and I, I guess I can just answer that by saying, I mean, I've always been one that goes real deep in everything. I mean, I was... Growing up, I was the 4.0 student. I was uh, captain of the basketball team, golf team. I mean, the reason I got good at golf wasn't because I had some amazing swing and instructor and all those types of things. It was because I showed up at the course at 8 a.m. and then at 5 o'clock when the league started, they kicked me out and I went home. 
so I mean, I was always kind of had, whether you want to call it compulsive or, or just kind of inner drive in anything I wanted to do. So when I started playing, I hated losing. I absolutely hate losing. So especially with buddies, I mean, the worst thing that can happen is you play with friends all the time and you get beat, right? I mean, it's just no fun at all. So I guess probably that inner drive and just kind of curiosity, and especially as I got into it, I'm like, okay, this is all math. I mean, it's just basic math and probability. And if you figure that stuff out, and I quickly became better, I would say, than my housemates. And then obviously online came and you had the party pokers of the world and full tilts. And so now uh, myself and one of our other roommates, we started playing online. And it was just something that we could kind of hone our craft. And I mean, craft is a weird word to use, but that's how we looked at it and skills. And so that was just what we did. And it was fun. It was enjoyable. It was an outlet. It was all those types of things. And early on, I did it. I mean, I followed all the guidelines. I was, like I said, with my warning sign that I had up front, I mean, I would literally put in $25 and say, okay, if I get to 50, I'm going to cash it out. And I would do that. And back then, I mean, the money would be back in your account the next day. And I would only play with winnings. And I would regulate my time to an extent. Um, but it's just one of those things. It's It was fun. And it was addicting because early on, even though I wasn't winning, I was kind of picking up on it. I felt like I was I was getting better. And it's kind of like I said, with the comparison with sports and athletics is early on, I wasn't always great at golf. But I kept grinding it out and grinding it out and figuring out, okay, hey, if I do this, this works. Or all right, I, I'm going to adjust this strategy. This is what's getting me down. And so it was just kind of viewed as this game and something that, unlike slots, I mean, when I turned 19, we went up to Canada where, uh, at the time, casinos were legal, put in like $20 in the slots and that did nothing for me. I'm like, this sucks. Like, there's no, there's no skill. There's nothing involved in it. It's just dump your money in and hope that you are the one that gets paid out. Um, but with poker, it felt way different. And I think that's, I convinced myself that it was something that was skill-based, and I think there is a lot of truth. To that. I think there's a lot of skill involved, but I didn't account for kind of my nature, my competitive nature, my addictive nature to kind of kick in and push me to a point where I was just playing too much. I was playing too long. I was playing above limits that I should have. I mean, all of a sudden, the $25 table became 50, and then 50 became 100, then 102, and then two was four, and all of a sudden... I was like, okay, I can't just play with one screen because on one screen I can only put four tables on. And anybody, like you say, I mean, that was playing online knows, okay, the pictures of like multi-tabling. I had two computer screens because, hey, I would win a whole lot more money if I had two screens than one. And obviously in hindsight, I just gave myself the ability to lose more money because my competitive nature always kicked in. Um, I could win for long stretches, I mean, days, weeks, months, but over the long term, the competitive nature always kicked in and tilt is a real thing. And especially for me, it was something that it was a, I could go through as much money as possible in a short amount of span, the time span as possible. Um, just trying to, because I get mad and chase losses and chase beating other people, kind of that competitive drive, uh, definitely was my undoing. That's probably a normal feeling for most, whether it is, you know, any type of gaming or wagering that going on tilt, chasing losses, even just playing, casual poker i'm sure a lot of people have felt that was that a was that a slow build up for you or was that a switch was flipped on and then once it was exposed it became relatively normal it it was probably always on i mean go back to the plane for ten dollars with my buddies like i'd be pissed if they beat me like flat out and i mean if they beat me on a hand especially i mean you're 90 percent to win and they pull the the one outer 
uh, to beat you, I'd be pissed. And so like, I guess that, that is my nature. And like I say, it doesn't matter. I mean, business now, I mean, even anything I'm competitive. I mean, my kids, I laugh. I mean, we'll be playing games and my son is better than me at some video games. And I have to check myself because I get mad. Like literally I'm mad. I'm like, man, how is he beating me? And I've come to accept that. And now it doesn't bother me as much, but I have to kind of, I see that trait in me. So I guess I don't think it was a switch that was flipped. I think it just kind of was part of my nature. I can say it definitely got progressively worse. Um, just with time. And I think that's because you do feel like you're, you're chasing losses or as I like to say, you're chasing wins. You're trying to recreate the the last time you won. So I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question, but I think it was probably turned on and then maybe just amplified. So do you remember what your mindset was when you were just playing recreationally with friends or on the golf course or, you know, some Texas Hold'em probably in a room with others were you ever feeling like it was an addictive uh, game you were playing or your behaviors were going to go that way? Or was it for a large portion before a certain point, just that it was fun and recreational? Yeah, I, I didn't see it as being addictive. And even when I, I mean, even when everybody else on the outside was saying, okay, look, I think you're having a problem. You're spending, I mean, I had friends that a couple of girls at one point were like, look, Jamie, we're worried about you. You're playing way too many, like, rounds of poker when they didn't really understand what I was doing but they knew like up until we went out to the bars I'd play and then when I got home we'd, I'd play and they were worried about me so I guess everybody else I'm probably on the outside saw it but internally I still saw it as that game that I had some control over and because I had had a success it didn't seem like I guess addicting was I just thought I needed to fix my flaws and so it wasn't so much viewing it as an addiction as much as, okay, I have these errors, these tilt issues, these bankroll errors, whatever the common ones that, I mean, everybody probably that's played poker has said, okay, at one point I need to flick, fix these flaws in my game. That's how I viewed it. Not so much, okay, I have this addiction. I can't stop. I literally cannot stop. So when you get through that phase and you're getting yourself into personal and, and even financial issues, I'm sure... What is are you feeling detached from that, and you can live your normal life, and and you're probably a fun person on the weekend at a birthday party, and then once it comes to back in front of the two screens playing, you know, eight tables of poker, it's it's a different person. Or how does how does that how does that feel for you as the person going through it? I mean, how it feels is miserable because it is. I mean, you you do you create two separate lives. It's like your life just splits, and there's a fork in the road. And you're taking these two paths and you're doing them simultaneously. I mean, at one point, like you say, you're, you're eight tabling and you're in financial debt and you, you just keep racking up losses and losses. And on the other side, then you go out with friends and you want to be kind of the life of the party. Hey, you know what? And, and you probably overdo it and say, oh, yeah, everything's awesome. Everything's great. And so you start to build up this kind of fake persona and we probably do this in a lot of ways in life, but with addiction, especially with gambling addiction, it was especially that the more that you build up that, that everything's great, then those paths start to go further and further apart from each other. And it makes it even harder to tell somebody, hey, you know what? I think this is an issue. Like I need to get some help with this because all of a sudden you're going to shatter this big fake persona that you've built up for everybody. I mean, you have everybody believing I had everybody believing, okay, I have a small business that's being successful and everything in my life is is good and great and I'm happy and all these things 
And yet when I go to pay my bar tab, I mean, I'm trying to figure out which credit card I can use to pay the $20 tab because they're all maxed out. So that is definitely something that, I mean, it just, it just grinds on you and it is an absolute grind on your, your psyche and your confidence and all those types of things because you're trying to live that split life. I mean, there's a, there's a bridge actually this weekend I was flipping through Facebook and there's this bridge in Cleveland where I'm from that's kind of an iconic bridge. It's not really pretty, but a lot of people use it in backgrounds of photos. And I was scrolling and I saw this wedding photographer use that as a background. And that bridge, I hate seeing that damn bridge because it's exactly what you're talking about here. It's, I would sit there in the parking lot just outside the poker room and I'd talk to my fiance at the time and basically convince her that, okay, yeah, here's my day. Here's what I'm going to be doing, all that type of stuff just biding my time so that I could go in to play poker and call, I'd call her on the phone when she was heading home so that she wouldn't think anything of it and call me when I was playing. So I'd have to stop. And the whole time I'm looking at this damn bridge and that damn bridge is like the two split personalities, right? It's me lying and creating this whole per- fake persona so that I could go in and, and just further my addiction. So it's, yeah, that it's interesting how looking back on it, you, you see these, these split personalities going. I mean, things like stopping at a restaurant to play cards uh, go, when I was on my way to my grandmother's house, which was 15 minutes away. I'd literally stop and jump on the Wi-Fi so I could play for like five more hands, which would become an hour on a 15-minute drive over to see my grandmother. Crazy stuff. You must have hit breaking point or close to breaking point at least once or twice. Yeah, I did. I'm several times. I mean, and it was always triggered by financials. Hey, I can't pay these bills anymore. There's literally no way I'm going to be able to pay them. And I had the fortunate but unfortunate help of family that they would help me in the financial issues. Um, but I didn't get kind of the help with the addiction. It's and it's no fault of their own. I mean, we have such a I guess poor understanding of how to treat. Um, people. And I did the same thing when I was trying to help the family friend of ours. I just treated the problem with money. And I tried to, I guess, help them with educating them on using finances, but it's not a financial problem. And so whenever I got bailed out, I mean, the financial problem went away and I would stop for a while. At one point I quit for nine months just on my own cold turkey. Um, I didn't do anything differently other than just say, you know what, I'm not going to gamble today. And that worked for a while, but eventually I just kind of forgot and Actually, it was one of the casual, no-harm poker games with buddies, um, some old guys that I used to play basketball with, and I was like, okay, it's only, I'll lose 50 bucks, maybe 100. It's not going to be a problem, and if I can just do this in moderation, the other stuff was the problem, and that was like on a Thursday night, and by Sunday, I was uh, maxed out on everything again, playing online, so it's, yeah. So, can you be a problem or compulsive gambler? And not have financial issues? I mean, if that's even a thing, is that possible or do you? does one come with oh. the other? I think you can absolutely. I mean, because I think if you look at problem gambling is more than just the financials. And if you talk to people in recovery, I mean, that's the one thing I've seen in eight years is most people point out it's, it's not the money that they even regret in the end. It's the lost time. I mean, time is something that we can't get any more of. We can make more money. You can't make more time. And so lost time with family. I mean, I've heard just devastating stories of people that they've had family members, I mean, con- confront them and say, look, you wasted my whole life with you. Like our relationship is not a relationship because you spent all your time gambling. And that's something that like isn't fun. So, and I don't know. I mean, the more money you have, it just gives you a longer runway, right? With gambling. I mean, it's one that you can hide it longer. 
you have more access to cash so you can you can kind of live that split life nobody will know and you can have i think problems with gambling and experience gambling harm i think that's a great term for it it's just i've seen that before is gambling harm which goes beyond the financial aspect of it it's it's the time it's the emotional it's the depression it's uh all those things and a lot of times we use gambling as an escape at least that's definitely how i did was an escape from any kind of struggles so it's something that yeah it's it doesn't only need to be a financial problem and a lot of times like i say the financial problems are the, the small issue when we quit um we look back and we say okay wow i was really kind of a terrible person that i didn't want to be and I, that's kind of that split personality i think most gamblers i've met are all actually extremely nice um thoughtful caring would give the shirt off their back type of people and so when they become this person that's kind of complete opposite of what they view themselves and how they truly are it just becomes very difficult to kind of reconcile what about the people that just gamble or bet on weekends and maybe lose a little too much or maybe only gamble when they're drinking or if they are drinking and they are gambling then it might get out of control for an hour or a couple of hours but then during the week they're at work on time they're good wives and husbands and friends and brothers and sisters can you be half of a problem gambler or is it you're either all in or you're all out um I mean, I don't know whether you can be half of one. I mean, I kind of, and I always kind of use alcohol and other things. I mean, I'm the type of person I can go out and have a drink and stop. And so like, like you say, I mean, and every now and then maybe I'll go out and have a couple too many and sure the next day maybe it doesn't feel good, but I'm not an alcoholic. And so I, I definitely can appreciate there are people that can absolutely go bet on a game. Um, maybe every now and then it's a little bit over what they, they, what they would like or they lose a little bit more, but they can, for the most part, keep it in line. They don't experience really any gambling harm. Every now and then it's kind of a little like kind of stubbing your toe. I, hey, that sucked. I don't want to really lose that amount of money. And so they kind of keep it in check and they reduce and they self-regulate. So I think that's definitely uh, true. Once you, once you get to the point with problem, I mean, I think I knew I had a problem. I didn't want to accept it. But I, that's once people kind of seek out, that's, I always am fascinated when people are posting on like the problem gambled on Reddit or someplace online seeking out help. And then they say, well, I don't know if I'm really a problem gambler. I'm like, well, you're here. Like, <laughs> you're, kind of, you're kind of making that decision. So I think internally we sort of know. Um, but I think that's the addiction is it kind of keeps our ability to identify it and to actually like, do something about it at bay because we're just isolated. And the only thing we can think of and do is the gambling. So do you think it, compulsive gambling can be developed or is developed? Or do you think it's largely with you from from birth essentially? And I guess... From your perspective, you know, if you're very uh, competitive, let's say, and maybe you could have become the world's best poker player because you're so competitive and you, you know, had strict focus on every single hand and every single table and every single tournament and it went down that path instead of the path you did go down on. Do you ever think of it from that perspective? Yeah, and I, I think my DNA would have always played out in the end. I mean, I wouldn't have never been satisfied and I think I think it would have ended poorly at some point. And that's I mean, I've received messages from people that kind of live that life that I mean, it's hey, I've been very successful um, and with with their gambling and then all of a sudden they're not. And I think it's one of those things that's a, the real tricky thing with gambling, I think, is that it's it's difficult to stay in that kind of lane of responsible um, small bets. And the reason I say that is because it's different than like alcohol. Alcohol, you drink a beer, you know what the effect is, right? I mean, so in a month, 
two months, six years, drinking one beer is going to have similar effects. The thing that causes most problems with gambling, it was mine. Uh, and I see with everybody else pretty much across the board that has developed a problem with gambling is you have some significant win. For me, I remember it was January. I don't know the year, but it would have been three, four years into my gambling. I ran a hundred bucks up to like 4,000. I was getting ready to graduate college. I'm like, well, shit, if I can make four grand in a month, this is more than I'm going to make with my degree. And so it's that win that I think really messes with our heads. And so like, I mean, I always tell people the, the best way to gamble responsibly and stay within limits is to never win or to win something that isn't a significant win. That's maybe like 10 X. So you put in 10 bucks and it spits out a hundred. The moment you start putting in, you spin in 10, it spits out 500. All of a sudden, I think as humans, we're naturally wired to want to recreate an experience, right? I mean, it doesn't matter if it's gambling, if it's food, if it's drinking, if it's a night out with friends. I mean, if you go to a dinner and you're like, that steak was incredible. I mean, everything about it, the texture, the taste, the saltiness, every single bit of it was better than any steak I've ever had in my life. Every steak going forward, you're going to want to compare to that steak, right? And so like the success or failure is based on that one kind of peak experience. And that's what I see with gambling is once you have that significant win, it's really, really difficult to kind of continue gambling in the way that you were before that. There's always that thought in the back of your mind because you know it can be done. You've done it. Like it's not like winning the lottery, which is just kind of this fantasy that nobody can imagine because there are so few people that do it. No, you've actually done it. So now to pull yourself back and say, okay, I'm going to just do it within this, this level is difficult. And that's why I think it's a progressive thing and why it's not, it's hard to identify what a problem gambler is. I mean, you were talking earlier, how do you know, like when you kind of sort of cross that line and it's, and it's really difficult because it's one of those things that you just kind of slowly, slowly, I mean, the, the temperature slowly turns up, slowly turns up. All of a sudden you don't realize that you are like in the depths of it because it's just kind of gradually grown on you. The $5 bet is now 500. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. And I think a lot of people probably have, whether it's half of 1% or 3% or 5% or unfortunately others have much higher percentage of gambling harm, let's say. And, and most people who potentially are listening or go through it will be able to live their life having, you know, small 1% gambling harm every week or month or year and, and be fine. And then, and for others, it's it's not the same, and you really don't know where to delineate and where you cross the line, which is the most difficult part. Yeah, absolutely, and and it's one of those things. I mean, think of it; it's limitless, right? I mean, there's no biological like thing that shuts off with us with gambling, outside of suicide, which is obviously a very sad and um, real ex- thing that happens with people that have a gambling problem. But I mean, when you're drinking, I mean, you drink too much. Eventually, your body says, "You know what? You, I got to shut you down." Like you're done. Like your body yeah. is the regulator that says you can't go any further. And that's the same with drugs and a lot of other things. Gambling, because it's kind of outside. I mean, if you have the time and the money, there's no limit. I mean, if you and I decide, hey, we're going to put everything we own on red, we'll find somebody that will take that action. And so it's 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 kind of incredible how fast. I mean, like I say, if you you can be responsible 99.99999% of the time, but if that point zero 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 one, you decide I'm going to just throw it all on black, you can dig the most enormous hole that then takes years um, to ever dig out of, and you'll never fully dig out of. But it's just that's that's 
I'm fascinated. It's, it's fascinating. It's sad. It's all these types of things. It's intriguing about gambling because I think it's so different than so many other addictions because of the variance. And it's just one of those things that you don't know what somebody's experience is going to be. The next time they spin that wheel could be the time when they hit and they turn 10 grand into 20. And at that point, like, are they ever going to be able to go back to normal again? And that's why like the whole responsible gambling campaigns, I'm, I, I understand the goal and it's just one of those things. I wish we would tell more of the story. And that's why I appreciate being on here because hopefully I'm sharing more of the story, which is my story and other people's stories, because it, there is so much more to consider when considering how to gamble responsibly and how kind of problem gambling is defined. What role do you think culture plays in, in problem or addictive gambling behaviors? Um, I think it's huge, but it's going to be exponentially bigger in the next five, 10 years. Because I think, I mean, especially here in the U.S., I mean, we've always been, I mean, my house is bigger than yours and my car is more expensive. And I think social media, I love social media. I mean, I'm on it quite a bit. If you're on my Twitter, it's, uh, yeah, I'm on, I love the engagement of social media. I think social media, when it's all said and done, will be the greatest thing that's ever happened along with the internet because it allows us to do things like this, like you and I to have this conversation and just kind of share it. There's, it eliminates so many barriers. But right now, like social media, the current trend, and it's just kind of amplifying the, hey, you either have stuff or you don't. And so many of us, I mean, we're chasing the kind of this happiness through things. Um, and that's a lot of times in mean, my gambling, I was, I was going to chase the ability to not work and be able to travel and do all these types of things that I was trying to take a shortcut for. And so I think the more that our culture, and I think it's societal-wide, I think it's worldwide, we all want to kind of up our game, step up to the next level. And I think gambling, a lot of people, unfortunately, are going to turn to that. And if they do have mild success early on, they're going to look at it and say, hey, this is my way. This is my way that I can get those cars, those houses, those clothes, those whatever it is quicker. And that's, I, I think it's, it's kind of frightening in a lot of ways because that combined with the ability to gamble online, I mean, it's going to be a real thing. You're going to be able to do, I mean, roulette, poker, sports, whatever it is from the comfort of your home or from your office at work or from pretty much anywhere you are. I mean, if you're on the, the subway, the bus, uh, if you're at a kid's soccer game, all those things are now going to be casinos. So you combine that with that kind of inner drive and that kind of story that we're being sold that if you're not successful in these material ways, then you're not successful. And that's just, it's sad and I think it's just a recipe for disaster. How can the responsible gambling campaigns then be more successful? Because it sounds like this is something that's all-encompassing, and when we talk about gambling harm, it doesn't take too much for it to tip over or it doesn't take a lot for someone with certain behaviors to, to fall into those holes that you mentioned. What do we have to do to make sure that responsible gambling is effective and actually work, works for those who need it or is available for those who need it? Yeah, I mean, I think it starts with telling the full story. Um, I think the uncomfortable nature of telling stories of of suicide and whether even when it's not suicide, I mean, just my story, I mean, the financial devastation and real people, I mean, using real people and real faces, which then, I mean, the marketer in me says, yeah, that's the way. But then you have to also come up with the reality of, hey, I'm eight years clean now and I'm just now comfortable coming out and talking about this. So you have that shame and stigma that's there, which is going to prevent kind of having any type of talent, if you will, or, or people and stories to share. So that it's difficult there. I mean, I think the one thing that uh, companies can do is separate uh, themselves from their responsible gambling campaigns. 
I think creating separate entities is definitely the way to go, even if they are funded by casinos, just because, I mean, I don't know, I always kind of snicker when you see like Budweiser or any type of alcohol company say, hey, please drink responsibly. I Obviously, I hope that, that that's their intent, but there's kind of an inherent uh, belief that maybe they're not as genuine with their messaging as possible. So if that messaging can come from a third party, um, something that's set up as a separate entity, and I see a lot of good examples of this uh, starting, that would be one thing that I would say is just kind of separate it away from the casinos because I think those whole the, the token three seconds at the end of a commercial is not doing really a whole lot of good for anyone. Um, the operators, the compulsive gamblers, and just the general public. I don't think it really does any benefit there. Um, but yeah, just and then just sharing stories. And like I say, I mean, that's, again, going back to the power of the internet, myself, and there's so many others that are now starting to share stories. Um, so there are more stories available, and there are companies that are being founded that are just going around and educating people through the use of story. Because I think story, I mean, it's as old as, as anything. I mean, tell a great story, and that's able to connect. I I'm Obviously, the perfect example of a great story isn't always enough. Um, I had a great story, uh, but maybe maybe I needed to be told the story that, look, just because you think poker is different, um, maybe it's not. And maybe if I would have questioned that early on, that, okay, is poker really different than, than casino gambling? Maybe I would have prevented myself from being in this spot. I don't know. I can't go back in time. But I'd, I'd like to think that the more people that we share, even if it doesn't prevent um, – because I think, I think preventing problem gambling is a nearly impossible task. I wish it wasn't, but I think people have to sort of experience it. But maybe the focus should be on trying to limit the amount of time that people spend in that state where they are alone and isolated and they're, they're devastating. Um, and I think that's one way that along the way I always would kind of search and try and see if there's some information. So hopefully now when people get to that point, they can go on and they find all these resources available and they're sharing other people's stories because that's been the thing that has worked for me in recovery um it's why i still go to ga because i like to collect stories and that's what i'm trying to do through the podcast is just kind of share my stories and other people's stories in a way to kind of use the internet so that if you're sitting on the train in london you can sit there and basically have a ga meeting in your headphones so uh, just sharing those stories i think is the key you see the numbers you want more control on the Betfair Exchange, you can back, lay, trade, and set your own odds. So join the world's largest peer-to-peer betting platform. Get into the game within the game at betfair.com.au. Gamble responsibly. What advice do you have for someone who's not bankrupt, they're not yet at a tipping point or anything like that, but they may be on the path towards uh, problem gambling? Uh, best advice, tell your best friend or tell your spouse or significant other. And tell, tell them, hey, look, I don't think I have a problem with this, but I want you to be my person that helps. I'm a firm believer that the biggest problem we get into with gambling is that we do it in isolation. I think if you go to the casino and I would always just go play poker with my degenerate friends, I wouldn't go with the people that might want to leave in an hour or two. So I think sharing and opening up and saying, look, I'm confident that this is not a problem. I don't have financial problems and here's the bank records. I mean, be completely 1000% transparent with that person. And say, I am doing this because I don't want to end up in Jamie's case or in anybody else's place. Just that one small, small action of just being fully transparent with somebody, I think can save people from having a lot of problems. Because then that person will be checking your bank records. They'll be checking your time. They'll be saying, hey, you know what? You said you were working. Were you, were you really working? And I think that accountability, 
um, is key. And obviously if that's something you're saying, pushing back your insulin and saying, well, I'm not going to do that because I don't want anybody to know about it. Well, maybe that's a pretty big signal, a pretty big red flag that there's something going on here that is maybe a bigger problem than you think. Yeah, that seems like a huge step for something that's inherently private. And you, you mentioned it's it's done often in isolation. Are there many steps we can take or you really just have to run and jump to be able to put things in place like that and have a best friend or a partner or a, a, you know, a parent, for example, being there to help you with it? No, I think you can definitely take some steps. and It's a comfort level. I mean, like I said, with me being comfortable now eight years later talking about this, but you can go on. That's the beauty of the internet. You can go on and be the fly on the wall. You can read a problem gambling Reddit. You can read, I mean, people talking about it on Twitter or on forums or chats or any of those types of things. You can do it completely anonymously. That's, I think, one of the most fascinating, most positive things about the internet is that you can do all that stuff anonymously and kind of be that fly in the wall. The one thing I would he- warn people about is don't hesitate too long. Um, once you do decide, okay, this is something you need to do, because you can. I mean, we're great procrastinators and rationalizers. I mean, it's like, hey, I'm gonna. This is the last time I'm gonna gamble. I mean, I said that a million times, and I also said, hey, I'm gonna tell somebody about this and go get help a million times, and I never did. So, if anything, I guess just encourage people, definitely be the fly on the wall, but trust your gut. I mean, that's one thing I've been doing a lot more this year um, with coming in, kind of open about my story and sharing it with friends and sharing it with other people. It's been very uncomfortable. Um, leading up to it. But the actual act of doing it and kind of the feedback I've gotten has been all positive. There's been pretty much no negative that comes out of it. So the moment that you kind of trust uh, trust your instinct, I guess, is just the best advice on that. I mean, get some advice on your own in private. But then, I mean, if, if it's your best friend, if it's your spouse or somebody else, I mean, there should be some kind of built up uh, relationship there that should make it to the point where if you're saying, hey, I don't think I have a problem, but I just want you to be there to help me to make sure and then to kind of keep me in track. What's the, what's the danger in that? I, w- I would say. So what about friends and family? And let's say they have a, you know, a son, a sister, a daughter, or whatever it might be, who is an addictive gambler. What advice would you have for the friends and family aspect to it? Man, that one's so tough. Um, I've lived it and I've put people through it. It's it's difficult. First of all, I just say um, my thoughts are with you because I know it is a difficult time. I'd say take care of yourself. Um, I would definitely encourage those people before anything else. Um, they need to open up. They need to connect with somebody else because they can end up in isolation as well. And it's something that you can be. I mean, just get into deep states of depression uh, over somebody else's gambling. So it's something definitely take care of yourself early on. And then I mean. I'm just a big believer in kind of staying connected to the person. I, I'm not a big fan of the, hey, you have to do this or else. Um, I think if you do anything financially to bail them out, then there needs to be 1,000% transparency with them. And that would be a last resort because otherwise you're just kind of delaying the problem. Um, but getting them to to seek some kind of help, even if it's just in their private life, would definitely be a big step. But moreover, just, I mean, I think we need to stay connected with people. I mean, and try and say, hey, you know what, maybe this isn't about finances. Maybe this is about something that, that's going on. Maybe it's something else. And and also to, to kind of separate the person from the addiction and say, look, I know that this isn't how you you are. Like this this isn't you. It doesn't seem like you. And that's that's my concern is about you um, rather than, and it's hard because we get upset about the money. We get upset about the lies and all those types of things because 
if you're a friend or a family member of a compulsive gambler, they've been lying pretty much about everything. And so it seems like what's true. Um, but just trust that the person that you think they are is truly who they are down uh, deep inside. And so you just your goal is just kind of break through that ice and trying to get that person back. And too many times I see people further isolate people and say, well, if you can't do this, you're off on your own. And it just leaves people in more isolation. And more isolation just means more gambling. So trying to break through that wall, I mean, I'm a big fan of Johan Hari and his work. Um, if you want to Google him, he will kind of uh, show you what I believe in, which is kind of that the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. So he's very powerful. I love his work. It'd be something I would lead any friend or family member to because I think it kind of gets you on the path to understanding addiction on a deeper level. What's your mindset and feeling now? Eight more than eight years without a bet. What we we talked a little bit earlier about the different phases of of gambling and addiction. What about now? This far along? Uh, now it's cool. It's like freedom, right? I mean, it's kind of like especially now that I mean it's out there. I mean, as I've told people, I mean now that I've aired my dirty laundry for better or worse online to where anybody in any part of the world can go on and hear uh, what a degenerate I was. So once you get that out, like pretty much it's kind of like freedom. I mean, what's anybody going to have on me? I mean, this is who I was. This is what I did. And so it's one of those things that's kind of freed me up to kind of live a life with less stress. Um, I've definitely released a lot of that burden of my gambling days. Um, yeah. And it's kind of fun being involved in kind of the recovery community has been something that is completely different than what I expected. There's so much kind of fellowship and camaraderie. I mean, one of my really close friends in life is one of my friends from my GA meeting. And it's something I would have never thought of because I didn't want to go to GA. Those people were different. There are all these types of things. Then you realize, no, they are just normal people that maybe like sports and other things that you have same hobbies in. So it's, it's been cool to kind of connect in that regard. Um, yeah, it's just life is good once we stop gambling. It's one of those things that it doesn't get better overnight. Um, I always say like, and it was weird even between one and three years was the toughest time for me because I think the first year is just hard to just not do the action. And then you start saying you, you realize the fallout in year one to three sort of, and you have to address some of those problems and the, the way you treat people and other things that it can be quite depressing. Um, and it was a depressing time. But now I think I'm to the point where, like I say, being open about it and free about it and talking about it, hopefully, if nothing else, uh, what I've gone through will help somebody else to kind of shorten the span of pain or gambling harm that they experience. And so there's so much positive that comes out of that. And the messages I get are just kind of continue to push me and drive me to share more and more. And the more I do, just the better I feel overall. Yeah, take us through the, the website, aftergambling.com, the podcast. I had a quick look at the the origins of the logo. There's some pretty cool stuff on there. Yeah, so I mean, it was one of those things. Uh, I tend to be a big thinker and then uh, not always follow through on them. So I purchased the first uh, domain. When I first thought about doing this was with a therapist. I was talking to her about, hey, I'm going to share all these things with my story. I think it'll be good. And that was 2014. So I just launched it on my birthday in February of 2018. So you can tell that I wasn't that quick with it. Uh, but at first it was gambling still sucks, which was just kind of my daily reminder. It's not a view of the industry as or anything like that. It was just my reminder to myself, hey, gambling sucks for you. And so that was the first one. But I kind of changed it to after gambling because I did want to move towards more of a kind of a, a positive messaging and imagery. Um, and it's just something that I think there is life after gambling. Hopefully that's kind of what I'm sharing here today. And what I try to share on the podcast is that 
because when we're in it, we can feel like there's no escape. There's no way out. Um, and as for the logo, yeah, it's kind of a cool story. So one time I was out with my wife uh, to lunch and she was kind of just talking about, hey, I mean, so why do you feel so comfortable? You seem like you're kind of comfortable with your gambling and like put it in its place. And like, why do you think you wouldn't go back? And I literally flipped out a napkin and took out a pen and started, I drew this graph and it's kind of this arc up and it's, it starts off slow, then it spikes up and then it goes straight down. And for me, as I told her, I'm like, look, when I was gambling, all I focused on was that 100 to 4,000, which is that slow rise and then it goes up. And I think we've all experienced those rises where, okay, we start, we start off conservative, but maybe we have some big bets or something happens and all of a sudden we got this big high point and we're on top of the world. But then for me, it would always eventually come to the point where it would tilt or I'd get a bad beat or I'd be playing so long, I'd just be exhausted and make bad decisions. And then I'd lose and I'd lose and I'd lose. And once I'd start losing, that was like a free fall to where I'd lose everything. And it would go down past where I started into debt, no matter whatever money I could get a hold of. And that's where it would end. And then I'd start again and I'd build it back up. And so the graph is just kind of this graph of up and then straight down and then up and then straight down. And each time I'm starting further and further in the hole. And as I told my wife, I said, now I see the full picture. I see that, yes, I can sit down at a poker table and make money for a period of time, but eventually it's going to lead to the point where I free fall. And after that, I'm going to do it again and do it again. And when you step back and look at the graph, kind of the 10,000 foot view, it's a line that goes straight down. Um, yes, if you zoom in, you can only see the wins. But when you step back and see, I mean, in my case, it was significant six figure losses over a period of eight years. And so it's just one of those things that was my memory. Um, I use it now for the icon. It's something that's kind of cool for me. But like I say, yeah, the, the website, try and share. I'm going to start doing some more writing on it as well. But right now it's mostly podcast based. Um, try to share some other resources. Um, I just really kind of view the podcast as a, a gateway to recovery. It's a bridge to recovery. It's not, I don't have all the answers there, but hopefully it's that intermediary, like you said, where somebody maybe starts to explore on their own. And then eventually they reach out to help, uh, get help from it, whether it's GA or friends or family or therapy. So hopefully it's just kind of, that's my goal for it. And so far it seems to be working. Yeah. Start the connection. So by my count, it's around 3,049 days since July 15th, 2010. So that's a huge achievement. And I'm sure for you, just the beginning, I want to thank you again, Jamie, for coming on the podcast. I appreciate you having me on, Jake. It's been awesome to come on and kind of share. And uh, yeah, if anybody wants to find me at anything after gambling on any social media and the website and all that type of stuff is an easy way to find me. I love getting messages. Um, and I love if you think that I'm full of it and there's things that you say, no, you're wrong about this. I love hearing that because that forces me to think about it and say, okay, am I wrong? And to challenge my own thoughts. So good bad indifferent i'd love to hear from people just what their takeaway is on it and um yeah hopefully it helps some people and i don't know appreciate being on